every uh, time we come together. So Wednesday and Thursday night, we had prayer meetings, uh, you know, during this uh, three weeks. Uh, on Wednesday, instead of a regular schedule and activities, we're devoting it to prayer. And Thursday night is already our prayer. Uh, so every time we come together, we're going to have a basket here at the front. So after service, if you would like to give something uh, to help the poor, you can put it here. If you're going to give a check, you make it out to Beth Emanuel. Uh, we are going to give this money to a local ministry, Lighthouse, Lighthouse Mission in Patchogue, who are actively uh, helping to serve the poor and the, and the needy. So uh, we'll just have this basket set up here, uh, again, for after service. And you just, you know, uh, drop your check in. I'm going to put mine in now so I don't forget it, or your cash or whatever. And, again, it's just to bless those. So whatever you would spend on eating that you're fasting this week, and if you didn't fast any, well, put some in anyway, and, uh, you know, so we can bless others. Amen? So excited about what God is doing as we set aside this time, and we want to just bless others as well. So let's pray as we prepare to uh, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Hashem, I thank you for your presence here today. Uh, God, you are awesome, and it is awesome to be uh, here in your presence, Lord. I thank you that your word is true. You tell us that you are enthroned on the praises of your people, God, and you have manifested your presence here as we've come to worship you, Lord. And now we want to have ears to hear what you would speak to our hearts through your word today. We thank you that your word is powerful and alive, God, and it's sharper than the two-edged sword, Lord, and that you have a purpose in this message this morning. And God, we want that uh, purpose to be achieved in our lives personally and as a congregation. So we say, give us ears to hear, and we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So, as I said, we begin this 21 days of hungering for God on Monday, uh, three weeks of fasting and setting aside extra time uh, to seek the presence of Adonai. So this month we have our series which we've entitled Cultivating a Hunger for God. And last week Rabbi Michael shared an introductory message uh, to inspire us as we prepare to enter into these 21 days. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it takes to cultivate a hunger for his presence. So today's message is entitled, How to Improve Your Heart's Condition. How to Improve the Condition of Your Heart. So we have no PowerPoint presentation today, so you're going to have to get your tree book or e-book out so you can follow along looking at the scriptures uh, uh, with me this morning. But think about it. If we're going to hunger for his presence, one of the things we need to do is to improve the condition of our hearts spiritually. And this is not to say that we're all sitting around with hard hearts, you know, and, you know, to be a heavy message. But the reality is, Yirmiyahu tells us, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can fathom or understand it, right? And so we want to make sure that our spiritual heart is in the best condition it can be. Now, most of you know that my family and I are committed to uh, living as healthy a life as we can through eating correctly, uh, although every once in a while we mm, verge off a little bit. And my husband was sharing last week how he has a donut he doesn't like, and that's his kryptonite. But, you know, my husband lost over 100 pounds, you know, in, in, uh, four or five years ago when we started this journey and has pretty much maintained that. And again, we're making healthy choices eating. We exercise uh, usually at least five days a week. And, you know, as we're in the new year, one of the 
most popular New Year's resolution, in fact, I think it's in the top five uh, that people make, is I want to be healthier this year. Uh, I want to lose weight, make better choices and things like that. So I was thinking about it, how much more important should we want to be healthy spiritually, right? And that our hearts would be in a healthy state uh, so that we can, you know, hunger more for God and come into his presence and, and fulfill the things that he has for our, for our lives. So today I'm going to look at, again, this is not an exhaustive list, six different things we can do to improve our heart's condition so that we can cultivate that hunger for his presence. So the first thing is we need to circumcise our hearts. Looking in the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 16, God encouraged the Israelites, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And then the psalmist, David, said, and and I love uh, King David because the Bible says of King David, he was a man who had a heart after God. So if we could learn from anyone, it would surely be King David because he knew what it was to have a heart that was in the right condition. Now, was he perfect? No. Like Rena said in her Devar Torah, it's not perfection that God is looking for. David blew it and he blew it big time. But he knew the importance of repentance. He knew the grace and mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. And that's what he, he applied in his life. And because of that, his heart was one that was truly after God, that God could say that of him. And he says in Tehillim Psalms 5110, Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew in me a right spirit. So if we're going to begin to, to improve the condition of our heart, then we're going to have to circumcise our hearts. Now think of the analogy that I just shared of wanting to make healthier choices uh, in the natural for your physical heart. And what is one of the things, first things that you're told to do? Well, if you come to my husband and I and ask us for help or anything like this, this is one of the first things we tell you to do. Clean out your cupboards. All right? Get rid of the junk food. Now, I guess that could mean you could have an eating binge and, you know, eat everything there and get rid of it or throw it out. But you would be told by any nutritionist, anyone you went to seek help to improve your lifestyle in the physical realm to make better physical choices, healthy choices, to get in better condition and shape, they would say, go to your cupboard and, and look at what you have there, and they would probably give you a list of things that you needed to get rid of. Well, let's apply that to ourselves spiritually. Sometimes there are things in our heart that, uh, that are junk that we need to get rid of. And that's what God was saying when he spoke to the children of Israel, and he says, you need to circumcise your heart. What does circumcision mean? It means to cut away. So we need to cut away from our heart those things that prevent us from coming near to his presence, that prevent us from cultivating a hunger for him. And my husband talked about this a little bit in his message last week about, you know, we don't hunger for the good things when we feed on junk stuff. And he talked about how he can be very, very good, but he eats that first donut and it's, and it's over. And we've got to get to the point, and this is what I said, Michael, you have to get to a point where you can eat one donut and stop. You know, that you want to indulge for that moment and then come back. But one donut leads to two, three, four, and as he said, he could eat the whole dozen donuts he brings home. 
So spiritually speaking, we need to cut those things away from our heart that prevent us from coming near to his presence. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. And here Rav Shaul is speaking to Kehilah, and he's saying to them, get rid of all bitterness, say bitterness, repeat this after me, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. That was my Missouri accent. You're all like, what'd she say? Get rid of. That's cut it out. It's like circumcising. Get rid of this junk that's in your heart. And my husband and I were talking about this week as good as we've been setting aside extra time as a family and things like this, and we're focusing on these things, and, and we're discussing. And I said, you know, it's amazing how things like this, when you, when you hear it and you read it and you're like, you can think about it, probably a million people at work, yeah, they need to take care of this. But this was written to a congregation of believers. These were people who said they had a relationship with Yeshua, who called upon his name. And yet God challenges them to get rid of these things because sometimes these things creep into our life. Just like that donut can creep into your house, sometimes these things creep into our hearts. And God says you need to take care of these things. These were the people of God who allowed these types of attitudes and habits to creep into their lives. And this is just one verse, uh, verse that is mentioned. I think that you could look in almost every letter that Rav Shaul wrote to every Kehilah, and almost every congregation was challenged about something that they had allowed to creep into their lives that prevented them from having the best heart they could have to follow after God. And again, it's not a heavy thing. God challenges through Rav Shaul. It was a good thing. Just like it's a good thing to get rid of the junk food so that you can live a healthier life physically, it's a good thing to get rid of these things that hinder our heart and to, to make it to be clean before God, as David said. You see, with these conditions in our hearts, we cannot truly cultivate a hunger for God. We can go through the motions, right? And we can even set aside time and pray. But if we don't deal with our heart, and that's why we're starting with this message, if we don't deal with our hearts first, what good is it? That's why Yeshua says, you know, when you're at the altar and you're praying and you're seeking the face of God and you remember that somebody has something against you, what does he say to do? Go take care of it. Why? Because there, these things can't be in our heart if we truly want to seek and come into the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm taking these 21 days serious. I want to come more into his presence. I want to know him more. I want this congregation to go to a new level in him. That doesn't mean we don't know God. Of course not. And we've been doing this for the last couple of years. Again, our district, the New York State District, encourages every congregation to, to set, start the new year with these 21 days. And it's a great time. As we said, in the Jewish calendar, we have Moedim, festivals and feasts set where we emphasize a particular thing. It doesn't mean that's not true the rest of the year, but it gives us a focused time 
on that particular area. And so it is for these 21 days of focused time of seeking more of his presence. So let's deal with those things in our heart and cut them out that don't belong there. The second thing that Adonai would encourage us to do is to guard our hearts. Mishle, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life's consequences. We cannot cultivate a hunger for God if we are not careful to guard and watch the attitudes of our hearts. You know, the enemy would love nothing more than to ensnare each one of us with bitterness, hatred, and hatred and unforgiveness. And these things will hinder our cultivating a hunger for his presence. And this obviously ties in with the first point about circumcising our hearts. But we must always be on guard. You can say, well, I circumcised my heart. But you have to always be on guard because the enemy is always seeking. As uh, Cephas says, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. So he's always there. Even Adonai said to Cain, your sin is crouching at your door. Make the right choice. And so that's why we're told guard our heart because the enemy wants to ensnare and trap each and every one of us in the area of our heart and our attitudes. And the reality is he uses everyday events of our lives to trap us. The reality, most of us are tempted and drawn into wrong choices in the little things of life. It's not the big sins that ensnare or entrap us. God uses your situation at work. I mean, the enemy tries to use the situation at work. And maybe you have a difficult, uh, you know, co-worker or even a supervisor. He uses your family. He might even use someone else in the congregation. God forbid. And just little things that happen so he can ensnare you and trap you. And that's why God says, listen very, very clearly to the word of the Lord today. Be alert. Be on guard. Don't fall prey to the snares of the enemy. Let go of those things. Don't allow them to captivate your heart. Guard your heart. The third thing that Adonai would encourage us this morning is to keep our hearts pliable. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 64, verse 8, You, O Lord, are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So a pliable heart is one that is open and sensitive to the things of God. And the imagery from this verse demonstrates that being pliable means we allow ourselves to be molded and directed by the hand of God. Which means we can't allow pride and and wanting to always be in control to hinder getting our heart in the right condition. And that's a problem that some of us have. There are times when, when I'm speaking where I can sense resistance in this sanctuary to the message. I can see it on some of you, not to freak you out, but I can just see where some of you are just, where it's like, you know, there is a resistance there. 
and not to, to, to put anyone under, under, you know, condemnation. I struggle with it myself. In fact, my daughter and I were talking about it this week, you know, and about how sometimes she says, you know, Mom, it's like my flesh is just like wants to resist it, but I know it's not right to do that. And I say that happens to all of us, where all of a sudden you're just like resisting the thing that you know is good for you, right? But a pliable heart recognizes that that's a ploy of the enemy, and it says, no, I'm not going to resist, but I'm going to allow my heart to be open. I'm going to allow my attitude to be receptive to what God is trying to speak to me, to what he's trying to direct to me, so that my heart, again, would be pure and tender so that I can come before him and come into his presence. So what do we, feel when we, what do, we do when we feel our flesh rising up? It's time to yield to the Ruach. It's time to cry out, saying, God, help me to keep my heart pliable in your hands. Help me to let go, to not try to control every minutia of my life. Keeping our hearts pliable, that he could mold them and direct us. And my husband's going to speak a little bit more about that next week in his message about being submissive, surrendering all to God. So besides having that pliable heart going along with that, God would encourage us. The fourth thing is to develop a tender heart. Melachim Bet, 2 Kings 22, speaks of a young king, eight years old, named Yoshiahu. Our son is named after him, Josiah. And Holder the prophetess sends this word back to him because he has found the book of the Torah. And he sends it to her, and he's asking about what should be done, etc. And this is what Hulda says to him. Yoshiahu, because your heart was tender. Your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself before Adonai when you heard what I said against this place and its inhabitants, that they would become an object of astonishment and cursing, and have torn your clothes and cried before me. I have heard you, says Adonai. So we are crying out for more of God. We are seeking more of his presence. You want God to hear your cry? Let's follow the example of Yoshiahu. Have a tender heart. A tender heart. A tender heart towards him and towards the things that are happening in our world. As I said, he was eight years old, and Adonai used him to bring one of the greatest reforms to the nation of Israel that probably they ever had. Yoshiahu and Hezekiah was another king that God used in a powerful way to bring reform to the nation of, of Israel. They're probably the two kings who brought the greatest reform. And I think we could see that both of them had similar heart attitudes towards God, and that's why God was able to use them. When Yoshiahu heard what God said was going to happen, he tore, his, he tore his clothes and he cried before God. When we look around our nation and we see, you know, how corrupt and evil our nation has become, our world has become, it shouldn't make us to be indignant and, and angry at the world, but we should have that same heart as Yoshiahu did, that we cry out to him on behalf of, 
of this world around us. And obviously for us here in America, you know, this is a big year. It's an election year, and you can't escape election news. It's on, you know, I mean, we mainly watch the Fox News channel, but, you know, after a couple of shows, I'm like, okay, I don't want to hear again. I've just heard the, the same clip, you know, for two hours. But there's a, you know, there's a lot of things wrong in our country. There's a lot of things wrong in the world. I don't know if you saw my post, you know, about France, you know, uh, this past week. Someone in France said that, you know, because uh, some anti-Semitic act happened, and so someone said in France that all Jewish people should stop wearing their kippot. Friends, that's, you know, anti-Semitism is alive and well. And again, to get indignant, no, but to cry out to God for our world. That's what Yoshiahu did. He had a tender heart for the people around him, and God saw that. And he responded to the cry of his heart. Throughout the Torah and the Tanakh, Hashem often challenged Israel to not be stiff-necked and hard-hearted. A tender heart is seen in Yoshiahu is one that walks in humility. As I said, even at that young age, think about it, he was only eight years old. And when God says his heart is tender, it's not because he was a child, but it's because at eight years old, he comprehended and understood what the book of the Torah meant. And that's why, you know, our children's ministries and outreaches are so important to me. You will know my story. I came to faith at six years old. But I want to tell you that those children can understand and comprehend the depths of the wisdom of God in ways that you could not imagine. And don't sell them short. And serving in that nursery, and it, even as Adeline had the meeting last week, and because we have a lot of new babies, so she, she gave out a handout about how babies can be ministered to. We're not here to babysit these children. We're here to impart to them the things of God. And my prayer is that the Spirit of God would fall down in that junior Shabbat and fall in that nursery. And we know of other congregations where the children were used powerfully to intercede and and to cry out for the lost, and they touched the heart of God. And that's what happened with this young man here at eight years old. He caught the attention of God because he had a tender heart. You want to catch God's attention in these 21 days? Have a tender heart. That's a humble heart. The meaning of the Hebrew word here also carries this connotation of being responsive, meaning obedient to God's authority. And we know that Yoshiahu was responsive to the counsel given to him by hold of the prophetess. If you read through the rest of that chapter, it talks about how he cleaned the land of the idols and false prophets. He tore down those high places, which, again, corresponds to our first, verse, uh, first point this morning about cutting out the things in our own lives personally. Well, Yoshiahu did that on a national level. See, you and I can't do anything on a national level, but we can do something right here and now in our own hearts and in our own community, in our own households. And if we take care of that, if you take care of your heart and I take care of my heart, if my family takes care of our family and our household and Chris does her household and Ray Lynn and Miles does their household and Gary and Myrna and Evan and Rena and each household here, t- 
takes care of cutting out and removing and doing all these things, it will change this congregation, which will then change our community, which will then impact our nation. See, Yoshiahu was in a position to impact the nation because he was king. You and I are not king. But the choices we make can impact our entire nation. And that's why we're setting aside these 21 days of hunger and focus on God. Not just for our personal gain, although I personally want to know more of his presence. But the ramifications go beyond me personally and my household and this congregation. We are in a nation and in a world that desperately needs an outpouring of the presence of God. And God is looking for men and women, boys and girls, young people who will be serious about seeking his face. So let's have a heart that is tender. He was tender. He tore down those high places. So it said of him at the end of uh, chapter 23 in Melachim, Second Kings, no previous king was like him because he turned to Adonai with all his heart and all his being and all his power. He turned to God with all his heart, with all his being, with all his power. My prayer for each one of you here is that would be true of you. That wherever you're at in your relationship with God, it doesn't matter to me that beginning today, you would turn to him with all your heart, with all your being, with all your power. The fifth thing to improve the condition of our spiritual heart is to focus our hearts. First Chronicles 22:19, Debreha Yamim Aleph says, "Now set your heart and being on seeking Adonai your God." Tehillim 27:8 says, "My heart said of you, seek my face." Your face, Adonai, I will seek. You know, in the times of prayer this week, I noticed as we gathered together that many of us ask God to help us not be distracted. Because we want to focus our heart where it needs to be. I definitely have a Martha personality, right? And my husband talked about the difference between Martha and Miriam last week in his his message. And and I always have a million and one things to do. Uh, I don't even write everything down on my to, to-do list because, you know, until I get a few things off. And so my personality is definitely one that work, 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 go, go, go. But we need to develop that heart of Miriam. We're, we're going to cult- if we want to cultivate that hunger for his presence... And from that passage that Rabbi Michael shared last week, she was simply willing to sit at his feet. So to focus our heart does mean to get rid of the distractions. We have to speak to ourselves sometime and say, heart, this is where I'm at today. I'm here to seek his face. Distractions come in many forms. For us, as a family, we have set aside our lunch as a time of fasting. So we meet together at noon every day. This week, Josiah starts back to school, so he won't 
be with us on a couple of days, but this past week we met at noon every day for worship and prayer and fasting. Now, on one day, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, uh, I was helping Josiah edit and proofread a, a few essays that he has written. He's applying for a particular scholarship at Stony Brook. So I had to write three essays. And so uh, uh, after he wrote them, I said, let me help proofread and edit them. So we were on the third essay, the last paragraph. And it was noon. And like, well, well can't we just finish this? We're going back and forth. But we shut off our computers, went into the living room around the piano with Rabbi Michael and Abigail, and made a choice to focus our hearts. The next day, we finished the essays, got everything submitted, but it was easy, it could have been easy to be distracted that day because we had to get that essay done. But we made a choice to focus our heart. Focus our heart on that one good thing. Literally, we are being asked to give our hearts to Adonai. And our hearts are being pulled by so many things, and many of them are good things. But like Miriam, we need to choose the best thing. And all of us face it, even in service that they didn't worship, which was powerful. There were times where my mind was distracted by the responsibilities I have to do other, you know, later in the day here in the synagogue, by making sure the right people where they need to be, who's on PowerPoint today, who's this, who's that, or I didn't check before service, now I need to know. Then I had to say to myself, self, <laughs> shut those thoughts out. Those things are still going to be there. This is time to focus your heart on seeking God. And it's a choice we each have to make. Because there will always be something pulling for the attention of your heart. Always. Now, we live in a physical world. And the reality is we must take care of the responsibilities we have. Even as Rabbi Michael again encouraged us last week. You have to work. You have to go to school if you're, uh, you know, a student. You have to take care of your family. You have to do your laundry unless you want to go buy new underwear every week, which I've done on occasions when the laundry got too much and didn't have time. You can't ignore your responsibilities. But I believe what we see in the scriptures, and I believe what God wants for each one of us, is that we could get to a point where we are God-conscious throughout our daily activities and the responsibilities that we have. It is truly possible to live in his presence. That's how we focus our hearts. So yes, even though we might be, you know, uh, cooking dinner or again doing your work uh, on your job, your mind can be God conscious in the midst of that. And I closed with this last point, number six, to cultivate a heart that is desperate for more of Adonai. Tehillim twenty-seven four. We sang this this morning. A song my husband wrote. Many moons ago, just one thing have I asked of Adonai. Only this 
will I seek. To live in the house of Adonai all the days of my life. To see the beauty of Adonai and visit in his temple. You know, I believe this is the whole heart of these 21 days. There are so many things that we could ask of Adonai. We all have needs in our lives and, and we're not ignoring those needs or not praying for those. Those of you who are on the, the congregational list, you know that Elise reached out this week. Her father was taken to the hospital at 3.30 in the morning, and she said, can you pray? He can't breathe. They, have, you know, they don't know what's happening. We prayed, and a miracle happened. I mean, they were ready to put this man on the respirator, and, and we popped up to the hospital to see him, and we prayed, and the congregation was praying. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a video from her, and there's her dad, alert, and you know the CPAP removed from his face. God answered our prayers. And we're going to continue to pray for needs. Myrna's going in for surgery this, this Monday. I'm going to send out a prayer request tonight. But we need to pray for, for Myrna. She's going in for a hip replacement. So pray for that surgery. Pray for a speedy and easily recovery. Maybe she'll even be dancing here next week. So it's not that we're not praying for needs and things, but this extra time that we're setting aside, we're setting aside to focus on more of his presence. Like the psalmist says, one thing. We're spending this extra time to seek more of him and not ask more from him. And I asked myself, can you truly say, and I would encourage you to ask yourself, that if you had only one thing that you could ask of God right now, if he says, I will give you one thing that you, you want to ask, would it be this thing? Would it be, God, that I could dwell in your presence? We saw, uh, sung this psalm also today from Tehillim 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. We need to be desperate for his presence. Think of the imagery of the deer panting for water. This is not a deer casually walking up to the stream. Now, I grew up in a family that camped out a lot. My father was a rural ranger. He was the district commander there in, in northern Missouri. So uh, that's a, a group sort of like the Boy Scouts. So, uh, you know, family vacation was always spent camping out. We never stayed in a hotel, God forbid. You know, six kids, that was not a possibility. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would wake up early in the morning. I remember early in the morning once with my father going down to the stream, and there was the deer there. Now, that deer wasn't panting for water. That deer was just there in the morning, you know, doing his thing. The deer who's panting for the water is that deer who has been without water for a long time. And he's looking for that stream, and he finally finds that stream, and he, you know, he's longing for that, and he just is so desperate to, to get that water to nourish and to quench his thirst. That's what we need spiritually, that we would be desperate for his presence. We become desperate when we're empty, and that's why we need to prioritize our lives and not give in to the distractions or fill ourselves with junk substitutions for the real thing. One man of God wrote this about being desperate for Adonai. It's a little lengthy. 
section from his his article there, but I think it's just so important. He says, blessed are the desperate, for they will tear the roof off if and when necessary. They will push through the crowd. They won't be offended because even the dogs eat the crumbs. They will gladly give up dignity for an encounter with the king, like Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. They will break barriers like the lepers and the women with the issue of blood. They will lay in the dirt or climb a tree or jump in the lake, and they will not argue about God, what God does or how he does it, like when Yeshua put mud on the blind man's eyes. Because they are desperate beyond comfort, desperate beyond reputation, desperate beyond tradition, desperate beyond cosmetics, desperate beyond emotions, desperate beyond reason, desperate beyond the good fellowship of friends and family who, is, who are satisfied to stay in the boat. They are desperate enough to risk ridicule, desperate enough to risk failure. If you haven't risked anything, then you have never been desperate. When you become desperate, people will criticize you. You will lose a certain amount of religious standing. You will be looked at as overboard, extreme, unusual, and weird. People will try to hold you down, shut you up, You may get your fingers stepped on like the woman with the issue of blood, and you will certainly get your feelings stepped on. But the bottom line is this. If you truly become desperate, then you will get what you're asking for. Blessed are the desperate, for they will do whatever it takes to get what God has promised. God has promised us that he will pour out his manifest presence to those who really seek him. Are you desperate to know him intimately? This week in my devotion times, I was worshiping one day to the song which we've sung here in the past, This is the Air I Breathe. And the words go, This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. Your very words spoken to me. And the chorus goes, I am desperate for you. And I am lost without you. You see, friends, our hearts will be satisfied if we truly become desperate for his presence. I'm convinced that God doesn't want to just visit this place or visit your life, but he wants to habitate it. He wants to walk daily with you and me. He wants to speak the secret things of his heart. So the question I close with today, as Rabbi Michael comes up to join me on the platform, is are we willing to do what it takes to improve the condition of our hearts so that we could truly come into his presence to seek more of him? Am I willing to do what it takes? I'm on Dr. Brown's email list. Maybe some of you are. And so uh, I got an email yesterday and he has several different articles written about different things, but one of them was about revival, which is seeking more of God's presence that he manifested and that things get a little messed up, but the world has changed in a powerful way. And he says, I'm often asked this question, why don't we see revival? And he says, because we are content to live without it. Rabbi Carol, why don't we see more of God's presence? Why don't we see more of God's presence in my life personally or my family? Because you're content to live without it when it comes down to it. That's why we need to improve the conditions of our heart. 
And we need, uh, we shared an article with our leadership team this, this week about being intentional versus having good intentions. And that's why, you know, we gave you a focus 21 days, set aside some time extra than what you normally do to help you to be intentional because you can have good intentions but never change. So if you did nothing this past week, the good news is you have two more weeks. And I encourage you, continue your normal time of prayer and seeking God, but set aside extra time. Fast at least one meal this week and spend that time seeking more of God. Not asking him for anything for you or anyone else, but just seeking more of his presence. Come to Wednesday or Thursday's prayer. Be intentional this week to do something you've not done this past week to seek more of him. Because God is looking for people. It says in Chronicles, his eyes search to and fro for those whose hearts are wholehearted towards him that he could pour out his blessing on them. So let's stand to our feet. My prayer for you as it is for myself and my family is that these 21 days would just be the catalyst to a year that is so different in a good way for each one of us. A year of intimacy with God that it spurs us into a lifetime of dwelling in his presence. Of dwelling in his presence. Cultivating a hunger for God. That's what we're doing in these 21 days. Right now I want to close with the ironic benediction, but I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down. And after I close with the Ronnie Benediction, Rabbi Michael and the worship team is going to minister and the rest of the team is going to be down here ready to pray with you uh, to help you in whatever you have. Again, not because we're so awesome, but because we serve an awesome God. Amen. And uh, I want to encourage you, if at all possible, 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock today, prayer meeting. Just try to make it back. An hour. It goes by so fast. Just to again do something intentional this week to seek more of God. So, if the prayer team can come down, my board members, Myrna, Evan, Rena, uh, and I'm going to speak the blessing. And then you want prayer, come down. We're here to pray with you. And, uh, and, and those who need to go, I'm going to close with the blessing. So, feel free to go. May you go in the blessing of God. May you seek more of his face, cultivate that heart for him, and be intentional this week about it. So Adonai said to Moshe, speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them that this is how you are to bless the people of Israel. Say to them, Adonai may Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai may Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. Adonai shalom. I lift up his face towards you and give you shalom. May you walk in the peace of Adonai. May your heart thirst and hunger for his presence like never before this week. God bless you. Amen. You want prayer? Please come down. We're here to pray in agreement with you. Make your way down. Don't be afraid or ashamed.